Sometimes you hear a story and it makes you almost lean in. You hang on every word as you imagine the story in your mind as you're hearing it. And that's happened to me a couple of times when I've heard Blake Maddox telling his story. He was bullied day after day, year after year. And after a while, something grew inside of him that was very, very dark. And so today you get to hear part one of two parts, the story of Pastor Blake Maddox. I'm just a radio girl. I love things that talk to me. You LOL? I did. I laughed out loud. So this may be the dumbest thing in the whole world, but it worked on me. There's a dog chasing a train. Natalie, how old are you? I will pray with you now. Before you leave, I have to pray with you. I'm here for the people in the hood. You know, Jesus is my very, very best friend. Pray without ceasing, which is not some sort of so heavy I can't do it command. It is this breath of fresh air that I am involved in what God is doing in the earth today. I'm Lisa. I'm great. Everything's fine. Somebody just wrote on my Facebook page, please get your mom on Facebook. We want to be her friend. Do you want to be on Facebook? What is that? Are you on Twitter? I talk to the mailman. Is that Twitter? Life with Lisa Williams is like a cave. Run around in the sun. Exactly. Put a sprinkler in the yard. This is life. This is 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 life. This is life. 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 This is Life with Lisa Williams. You are about to hear the story of Blake Maddox. Blake is a pastor, and he and his wife, Melinda, serve in Arvada, Colorado, at a church called Faith Bible Chapel Car Campus. And their life has been a blessing to my life and my family, and I've had the chance to hear Blake tell his story a couple of times, and I really wanted you to hear his story and hear what happened to him. And so, Blake, thank you so much for being willing to be on the show today. Thank you, Lisa. It's always humbling for me to be able to have an opportunity to do this, because when I look back over my life, I see that... uh, you know, God was able to use something that really was way beyond anything that I had control of in any way and turn it around in a profound way in my life. I I grew up in Southern California in what I would call a very normal home. Uh, mother and father who were together, uh, the oldest of four in my family. And I wouldn't say we were ultra religious, but we, uh, we went to church almost every Sunday and certainly on holidays. Um, I didn't have any kind of a relationship with the Lord. I I would describe it as a religious experience that I was growing up in. And Mm -hmm. I I would say probably at about the time I was about 12 years old, that's when things profoundly changed in my life. And and they changed because of circumstances beyond my control. But I I look back on it now, um, you know, 40 years later, and I I see where God orchestrated something that the enemy was really uh, trying to use for – for evil in my life. Um, about 12 years old, I, I started to develop a condition called cystic acne. And at that time in the 70s, it was one of those skin conditions that was just not normal acne. It was it was actually cysts. And uh, they, they were fairly large on my face, like maybe the size of a dime or even a nickel and, uh, you know, pretty perplexing to doctors. And so my, I remember from that time on, my mom taking me to a dermatologist and then concluding that the only way to deal with this was probably uh, injections in these sores. And uh, wow. so what, what started out as a, as a challenging thing, having the cystic acne, was just made much worse because I, 
two times a week would go to the dermatologist and I would find myself having to go to school the next day with a numb face, not unlike when you go to the dentist. And uh, so these sores that were on my face had antibiotic in them. And of course, because my face was numb, I could never tell when they had uh, things coming out of them. And I'm not trying to be too graphic, but just trying to describe what it was like for me. So as a result of it was that, terrible. from about the time I was 12 years old, yeah. until actually I went into the Marine Corps at 18 years old, I, I battled with this. And uh, so it was something that kept me incredibly isolated from peers. I had no friends going to school or growing up. I never attended any social activities, never went to a dance, a ball game, never had a girlfriend, never never did anything as a young person. And uh, and it was really debilitating to me. I, uh, you know, as a young boy, 12, 13, 14, you know, peer pressure is so, yes. so, yeah. so real yeah. in the lives of young people. So I battled with that for uh, all of my growing up years. And as a result of that, became an angry person. And I think I became angry because I, I couldn't explain it. I didn't understand it, but I just knew that uh, I didn't have friends and, and what this thing was that I was dealing with kept me isolated from people. It makes sense, and and I feel a lot of pain, uh, Pastor, because it makes sense that you would be angry. You were isolated. You were alone. You were suffering. Peer pressure. Young man, did you have anybody to turn to? To, to? You know, just talk to or have comfort. I didn't have friends. I was the oldest in my family. Mom and Dad had no answers. I mean, they mm -hmm. they only knew to do what the doctors said, and which was to take me to the dermatologist. And I think. You know, at, at that age, kids are brutal to one another. And so I was teased from the moment I'd get to school until the time I would leave, name-calling. And I, I can remember a couple profound things that happened to me as a young person, one when I was 13 and one when I was 15, that really, I would say, heightened that anger to the point where it turned to violence. And and, and the first one was as a 13-year-old, so probably eighth grade, going to school one day after uh, having gone to the dermatologist. And I always made a habit of sitting in the back of the classroom, far against the wall as I could, because I, I tried to keep everybody in front of me and, and as few people to the side of me as possible. And uh, I remember one, one morning sitting in class and the teacher across the classroom uh, speaking specifically to me. And I had, come to, I had been at the dermatologist the day before and saying, Blake, it looks like your face caught on fire and you tried to put it out with an ice pick. And uh, I, I can remember a teacher saying that. And I can remember the classroom erupting in laughter, uh, like that was the funniest thing they had ever heard. And I remember being able to describe physically what felt like something punching me or poking me in the heart. Uh, and, and as a result of that, I just became an angry person. And um, the teasing that happened every single day just resulted in me becoming a fighter. Uh, mm -hmm. because I didn't have any other response to the teasing, so I became violent. And uh, so a couple years I battled with that. At 15 years old, I wanted to get my first job, and my mother was a server at a restaurant in Southern California, and the uh, owner of the restaurant agreed to sit down with me, even though I was only 15. And um, he made an agreement to hire me to work at his restaurant, but only under one condition. And the condition that he hired me under was that I had to be a dishwasher and I had to promise him that I would stay in the back of the restaurant and never come out into the front because he was afraid if I ever came out where the customers were that I would make them sick because of my appearance and they would never come back. And so that experience in eighth grade with the teacher and then that experience with the owner of that restaurant confused me greatly because not only was I being teased by my peers, but people that were, you know, 
that I would look up to, a teacher and, a, and an owner of a restaurant, yeah, these are grown ups. Uh, made me feel like yeah. that I was weird and, yeah, and, and unworthy. Different. And I mean, the the did you did you take the job at the restaurant? I did take the yeah. job. I took the job at the restaurant. I worked there for three years, and uh, uh, you know, some profound things happened to me in working at that restaurant uh, that that have shaped my life for the better. But at the time, it was just a very difficult thing because. Uh, you know, the I, I knew that the owner of the restaurant only hired me because my mother worked there and was a hard worker. Yeah, and I know um, that you. Um, I, I just I feel compelled to say, I'm so sorry that happened to you. I know that you are in Christ and you are strong. And I just want to say that though, I'm just so sorry. I'm so yeah, sorry that man you. said that to you. That was a very difficult thing. That would be a difficult thing for any human being to bear. And so there you are, right? You're a teenager. Yeah. You cannot control the situation. You can't change it. And you're angry and you're fighting at school. Are you getting in trouble a lot at school with that fighting? You know, it. it uh, I was. I, I rarely was at school because it was so bad. And uh, mm-hmm. But there was a there was a, just a dangerous progression that took place in my life. And, uh, you know, it started with the fighting. But, but I would describe it this way. And I've described it this way many times because it was anger that was controlling me as, the re- as a result of something I had no control over, which was... A skin condition and uh, something that I couldn't do anything about. But I would describe on the inside of me what I call a monster that lived in the dark. And the monster that lived in the dark in me was anger. And uh, it had an appetite. And the appetite was not satisfied with just fighting. It turned to what I used to qu- call uh, hunting, which really was not hunting. It actually was just killing. Uh, I grew up in Southern California um, in an area that was very uh, suburban, but a lot of uh, fields and open meadows and rolling foothills. And so I, uh, I began at an early age to build um, bow and arrow. And, uh, and so I became, I called it hunting, but it really wasn't that. And I would find myself every day after school, if, it wasn't, if I wasn't fighting someone, then I would find myself out there in those fields with bow and arrows uh, just shooting animals. And uh, just trying to do something to satisfy the appetite of the monster that lived in the dark, which was anger, that was just, it was literally controlling my life. I, I didn't want to go to school. I wasn't barely passing school because I didn't want to be there, didn't have friends, would show up and go to work, but spent all of my money on just things that I could build that would allow me to kill animals. So it was just a, it was a vicious cycle. And I, I would say that went on. All the way until I graduated from high school, and I graduated from high school early, and uh, I, I remember a, a defining moment in my life uh, in 1979. I remember walking by the television set in 1979, and uh, it was not long after t- after the American hostages had been taken in Iran. And I walked by the television set, and I heard the broadcaster say. 52 Americans held hostage in Iran, and in my other ear, almost as clearly as I heard the broadcaster, I heard these words, go in the Marine Corps and you can kill people legally and you won't go to prison. And those words were so vivid and so clear in my ear that I, as soon as I finished hearing that, I went down and I found a Marine Corps recruiter. And I said, I want to go in the Marine Corps and I want to kill people and I don't want to go to prison. And they signed me up. Uh, (laughs) They signed me up on the dotted line. And did you say that? And, you said that verbatim to them? I want to go into I the Marine that. Corps so I, I can said kill that people? To them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I don't want to go to prison. And, and I said, I want you to send me to Iran. I want to go get those people out of Iran. And so I went home that day and I broke my mom and dad's heart because I was 
18 and I had signed on the dotted line so I I was now government property and so I on December 27th 1979 went to Marine Corps Recruit Depot in San Diego California I went through boot camp uh, they sent me home after boot camp I went back for 30 days of infantry training school they put me on an airplane and they flew me to Kaneohe Marine Corps Air Station where I was stationed and I was there for about 30 days they put me on the USS New Orleans and they sent me to Iran. So in less than three months from the time I walked by that television set and heard go in the Marine Corps until the time I was sitting off the coast of Iran on the USS New Orleans was 90 days. Okay, we're gonna stop right here for now, but we'll pick back up tomorrow with Blake Maddox and you can hear how he went from a very hurt, angry young man who joined the Marine Corps so he could kill people with a rage deep, deep inside, how he went from that man to being a pastor. You'll hear that transformation on tomorrow's show. If you'd like to reach out to Blake, you can do that at lifewithlisawilliams.com. Just look for the show that says Blake Maddox, part one. There have been over 50 Life with Lisa Williams shows so far. Wow. And so I wanted to thank you again if you were a part of the Kickstarter campaign because you helped fund this show for these months in 2015. And I just wanted to say thank you for making it possible. Thank you also to Melanie Moritzky for helping produce today's show. And thank you to executive producer Paul Goldsmith. Hashtag thanks for listening.